this morning, um, Karen Lazell was going to preach, but sadly she's not well, so you've got me. Sorry. Um, but uh, Karen, if you're watching, hope you get better soon. Uh, but this morning we are going to continue our series in Isaiah 9. And uh, Andy Simmons so brilliantly kicked it off last week uh, when he was sharing about Jesus being our wonderful counsellor. And so this morning I want us to look at another aspect of his character, and that is Jesus being our mighty God. And uh, one of the things I love about our church, I love about this community, is worship and the way we worship. And worship has been always central to who we are, and it will always continue to be our number one priority. And I love the way that we just make space to dwell in his presence and make space for his spirit to move among us. And that will continue to be who we are. And wasn't it just beautiful earlier on, just how the Lord just turned up amongst us. And um, I love that we get the incredible privilege of gathering together, come before, coming before a God who is huge, a God who is full of grace, uh, a God who is awesome and beyond our understanding, and a God who is mighty. And uh, my hope today that as we dig into Jesus being our mighty God, our view of him will be completely blown up again, and that uh, our view of Jesus, our view of God would be expanded, and that we would leave this place with a new confidence, a fresh confidence that he can do more than we could ask or imagine, that he is able to hold on to us, and that he is able to hold us together no matter what circumstance we might face, because Jesus is our mighty God. Uh, but before I jump in, who fancies a quick little Christmas quiz? It's Christmas time. Anyone watched their first Christmas movie yet? A few of you. I finally got to watch my first Christmas movie yesterday, uh, Home Alone. Love it. And then we watched Home Alone 2 last night, and within seven minutes, I was unconscious on the couch, and I... Woke up when his family found him. Sorry, if you haven't watched it, he does get found. Uh, but anyway, let's have a little quiz to get us into the Christmas spirit. So I thought we would do a quiz on the top six all-time best-ever Christmas films. It's six because I like the sixth one, and I thought rather than five or ten, we'd have six. So anyway, here we go. This does require a little bit of participation, otherwise I'm going to look like a lemon up here on my own if you all just sit there in silence. Okay, so in at number six, what do we think is the top six? Christmas Carol. Any other? Wonderful Life. They're a little bit noisier. I'm just going to tell you, at the 9.15, they were a lot noisier. Okay, come on, 11.30. We can do better. So we've got a Christmas Carol. It's a... Okay, let's have a little look. In at number six is... Home Alone. I gave you a little clue. Come on. Right, now, what about number five? Number five. Wonderful Life. Santa Claus the movie. In at number five is... Bad Santa. Oh, this is like Family Fortunes, isn't it? Love Family Fortunes. Okay, what about number four? White Christmas. Elf, the Grinch. Okay, in at number four is... 
Elf, well done, well done, well done. Now, see, you're getting a little bit more excited now, aren't you? I'm liking this. Uh, number three, what do we think number three might be? White Christmas, there's... It's a Wonderful Life. Holiday in at number three is... Gremlins. I was quite disappointed by that. And if you're disappointed, you need to write to the editor of Time Out magazine, because this is where I got it from this week. It just came out this week. Right, number two. It's a Wonderful Life. You're going to keep going with It's a Wonderful Life, aren't you? There is persistence. What? Die Hard. Very good. Let's have a little look. Number two is... Die Hard. Woo! Well done. Okay, now, number one. Number one. Okay, I reckon we need a little bit of a drum roll here, but what do we think it is? Why, a wonderful life. Okay, what drum roll? We haven't got a drummer, so let's just come on. In at number one is It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> great, great. Now, I would actually have quite liked it if the top two were around the other way because Die Hard works much better for my uh, illustration this morning, but we'll go with number two. Um, but um, we love heroes, don't we? We love strong characters. And John McClane in Die Hard is a hero. Now, how many of you didn't realize that Die Hard was a Christmas film? Probably quite a few of you. I didn't realize until someone said, it's at it's Christmas time. It, it is a Christmas film. Um, but we love, we love heroes, don't we? And uh, we love someone who saves the day. We love someone who wins the battle. And we put them up on pedestals because there is something heroic about their character. And so today we are going to continue in um, our series on Isaiah 9, and we're going to look at Jesus being our mighty God. Not because his might is about muscle, but his might is about love. His might is about love. So let's read this passage from Isaiah 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, a quick reminder. This prophecy was spoken uh, by Isaiah 700 years before Jesus was born in, in what was a very turbulent time in Israel's history. And uh, they were under threat from the Assyrian Empire and there was a bunch of people 
who were being uh, very rebellious towards God. And so Isaiah was delivering a message of judgment to them. He was sending them a warning, like a, a warning shot to the rulers of Israel that their, their rebellion against their covenant with God would come at a great cost and that God would bring judgment on Jerusalem if they continued to persist in their idolatry and oppression of the poor. But Isaiah also spoke a message of hope. He believed that God would fulfill his covenant promises and would send a king from the line of David who would establish God's kingdom. And it is this promised king that is prophesied about in this passage that we've just read. And this king will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is our mighty God. And when this was originally written in the ancient Hebrew, the language for mighty God was literally warrior language. And, and all throughout the Old Testament, we see examples of mighty warriors. Uh, we see David slaying Goliath, super strong Samson and his long hair, and then he gets himself into trouble with Delilah. That's another sermon. And then Moses. And so there are all of these examples of super strong, marvel-like warrior characters throughout Scripture. And Isaiah says that a light is to come. A light is going to come and shine in the land of darkness, in amongst all the sin and all the rebellion that's been taking place. And he's literally saying, a new day, a new dawn is going to emerge. A great light, a saviour is coming. And this saviour is going to be a mighty warrior, a mighty God. And you can imagine that all of the people reading this and hearing this message would have an idea in their minds of what this warrior might be like. They would be thinking of maybe David and Goliath or John McClane from Die Hard. But what does this mighty warrior look like? A baby. Something totally different to what the, what the world expected. And when we look at this image, we don't think mighty God, but this is our warrior. Our warrior is different. They were expecting a warrior who would turn up and turn things around politically, who would sort out the rebellion in Israel, who would conquer the world. But what arrived that night was something different. The new dawn the new light that dawned that night was a baby in nappies, a baby who needed his mum. And this baby didn't arrive in a palace. He wasn't born into a wealthy family. His mum and dad were peasants. And this baby was born in the mess of a farmyard barn. And out of all of the ways that God could have saved the world and conquered death and evil, he doesn't come as a forceful, powerful warrior. He comes as a baby in a manger. God's plan is different to our plan. God's plan is not the way we would do it. God's plan is personal. 
And the Jewish people didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah when he arrived 2,000 years ago. And one of their greatest frustrations was that the Messiah they were expecting, the Messiah that they hoped for, would be political. They were expecting a warrior. But what they discovered in Jesus was something totally, totally different. And all through the Gospels, we see why Jesus is different. He represents a different kingdom. He represents a way of doing things in a different way. He represents a different way of life, which is the total antithesis of what the world expects. And so when God chose to save the world, he didn't choose to save it through politics. He didn't choose to save it through force. He chose to save it through a person, one individual at a time. God came for us personally. He knows us. He knows our names. He knows our situations. He knows our thoughts. He knows our struggles. He knows what's good in life. He knows what's painful in life. And yet he loves us as we are, not as we should be. He loves us with all of our baggage. And I love this, back in Isaiah 9, the language that is used in this prophecy is personal. It says, for to us, to us, to you. This mighty God is for us. It's for you. His might is for us now. His might is for us in the storms of life. His might is for us in the trials that we, that we face, in the mistakes that we make. And when we make the might of God personal to us, it changes things. When we realize the might of God is for me, it changes our perspective. And when we grasp that the love of God is for us in our mess, despite our mess, and that when he sent a savior, he didn't send a political savior, he sent a personal one, one who wants to know us, one who wants to love us, one who wants a relationship with us. God's plan is personal. God's plan was a baby. God's plan was a savior who died on a cross. God's plan was a savior who rose. God's plan was a savior who will come again. That is the mighty God who was born in a stable. Secondly, his plan is not the muscle of power, but the might of love. His plan is not the muscle of power, but the might of love. And uh, when we look through the gospel accounts of Jesus, uh, we see that grace and love is continually on offer. And grace is the most powerful gift that we as a church, as the church, can offer the world because grace is what makes Jesus different. Grace is the message of Christmas. So how do we change the world? With the grace of Jesus. And I love in Luke 7, we get this amazing glimpse um, of grace that Jesus offers. He's at a party, and uh, he's hanging out with all the, the, the high flyers in town, and he's reclining at the table, eating. And uh, in verse 37 of Luke 7, it says this, a woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. 
So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. This woman knew there was something different about this man. She knew there was something different about Jesus compared to everybody else who was at that party that day. She knew that Jesus wasn't bothered about the external thing uh, or looking good in front of others. She knew that he was about changing things, changing situations, and changing people. And he was about second chances. And here she is at his feet worshiping pouring out this oil that was probably worth a week, uh, a year's wages, and she's wiping his feet with her hair. And the host of the party starts to get angry, and he starts to question, who is this Jesus? Who is he? But he can't, you know, he can't be a prophet or a man of God, because if he was, he would have known about this woman, and he wouldn't have gone anywhere near her. And Jesus instantly steps in. Jesus instantly responds in gospel mode, and he tells a story. Two people owed a lot of money. One owed a lot, and one owed a little, but they both get their debts wiped clean. And he asks the room, who's gonna be more grateful? And everyone agrees, obviously it's the person with the biggest debt that's gonna be most grateful. And Jesus says, yes, you're right. And that is this woman right here. No one else washed my feet when I arrived. No one else poured oil on me. No one else welcomed me in like she did. But here is this woman pouring out her most treasured possession and gift. And with her tears, she shows gratitude. And Jesus looks at her and says, your sins are forgiven. He looks at her and says, your sins are forgiven. And so we have this dinner party where the least likely person in town is now in the room. And everyone else in the room knows of her reputation. They know how she behaves. And yet Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. And the guests start to mutter, who is this that even forgives sins? And then Jesus says to this woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And in that moment, Jesus, he could have been harsh with this woman. He could have sent her away. He he knew her past. He knew her sin. And everyone else in the room had started judging her. And everyone else in the room wanted to flex their muscles and kick her out. But Jesus doesn't. The only might Jesus displays in this moment is love. The only might he showed in that moment was love. And the entire room is stunned. Charles Spurgeon, uh, who was one of the greatest preachers of all time, said this, For us to hate those who are in error, or talk of them with contempt, or wish them ill, or do them wrong, is not according to the spirit of Christ. You cannot cast out Satan by Satan, nor correct error by violence, nor overcome hate by hate. The conquering weapon of the Christian is love. 
the conquering weapon of the Christian is love. God's battle plan is love. His plan is to serve. His plan is to share. And it's not to shrink back from the truth, but to share the truth in the context of grace. And uh, we will love people into the kingdom by offering them the grace of Jesus. The Christmas boxes that we're going to give out next week are an expression of the love and grace of Jesus. The work that Kim and Joe do with the Cornergate Foundation is an expression of the love and grace of Jesus. God's battle plan is love. Finally, his plan is not an enforcement of the rules, but an invitation to a real relationship with Jesus. Now, um, a few weeks ago, I did confess uh, that the uh, Kent police took a picture of me on the M25. I've already confessed this. Uh, their only plan in that discretion of mine was the enforcement of the rules. I broke the law. I was doing 50 in a 59 on the motorway. In my opinion, that speed limit was too low. If I was in con control of the, the screens above the gantries, it would have been 82, but that's okay. Now, I did receive an invitation from Kent Police, from their lovely chief constable, a chap called Tim. And uh, unfortunately, his invitation was not to me to come and meet his family and spend Christmas Day with him. His invitation was an enforcement invitation. And I have now done my penalty. I have done a three-hour motorway speed awareness course. Thank you very much. Now, because I've confessed, would anyone else like to put their hand up if they've done that course? Well done. Look at, look at you all. Brilliant. My brothers and sisters, there we are. Now, have you all got a personal action plan on how to drive more slowly on motorways? Yeah, I've got one of those. And the other thing they said was, if you go slower, you'll get there quicker. Go figure. I'm still trying to work that one out, but apparently it's true, and I have to believe them because it came from Kent Police. Um, but the point is this. Jesus did not come to give us a new religion. He came to give his life. He came to die. And that's how he wins the battle for you and for me. And then three days later, he conquers death. He conquers the grave and he rises again and there's a resurrection. And uh, he dies because that's what we deserve. He came for relationship. He came to give his life. And uh, this is the good news of great joy that the angels were proclaiming to the shepherds on the hill that night, announcing the arrival of this baby, the arrival of the mighty God, the God who offers us an exchange, his life for ours. He made a way for us. And to receive Jesus and to receive all that he has on offer, he takes all of our sin. And what do we get? In return, we get all of his righteousness. And when we say yes to Jesus, when we say yes to this mighty God, we receive grace. We receive incredible, unending, indescribable grace. It's a gift. He is our mighty God.
We're going to watch a short little film. It's not too long. Um, but it's an American pastor called Shadrach Lockridge from the, from the 70s. And he just preaches it so much better than I could. So we're going to watch this now. My king was born king. The Bible says he's a seven-way king. He's a king of the Jews. That's a racial king. He's a king of Israel. That's a national king. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. Well, I wonder if you know him. Do you know him? Don't try to mislead me. Do you know my king? David said the heavens declare the glory of God, and the fundament showeth his handiwork. My king is the only one whom there's no means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his soulless supply. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. Well, well, he's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's impurely powerful. And he's impartially magical. That's my king. He's God's son. He's a sinner's Savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in high criticism. He's a fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. And that's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. Well, he, he's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He's star God and he dies. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? Well, my king is a king of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. He's a master of the mighty. He's a captain of the populace. He's a head of the heroes. He's a leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's a prince of princes, he's a king of kings, and he's a lord of lords. That's my king. Yeah. Yeah. That's my king. 
is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but he, he's indescribable. He's indescribable. Yeah. He, he's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you, the heavens of heaven cannot contain him, let alone a man explaining him. You can't get him out of your mouth. You can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. And Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. Yeah. He always has been, and he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor, and he'll have no successor. There was nobody before him, and there'll be nobody after him. You can't him, teach him, and he's not going to resign. That's my king. And the power and the glory. All the power belongs to my king. We around here talking about black power and white power and green power. But it's God's power. Thine is the power. Yeah. And the glory. We finally get prestige and honor and glory for ourselves. But the glory is all his. Yes, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. How long is that? And ever and ever and ever and ever. And when you get through with all of the forever, then amen. That's our king. That's our king. That is our mighty God. He's incomprehensible, invincible, irresistible, all-powerful. That's our king. And uh, for some of us today, we need to know and come before our mighty God again. And we need to encounter his power in our lives again. And maybe for some of us, we need to encounter his grace again. Because it's grace, grace that changes us. And it's what changes the world, one person at a time. And it's the best gift that we as a church can give anyone. And it's the greatest gift we will ever receive. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never known or received this grace. 
then today there's an offer for you to receive it. This invitation is for you. Jesus longs to have relationship with you and we'd love to introduce you to him today. And maybe for some of us, we've known Jesus for a long time and we've known this grace in our, in our lives before, but maybe somehow we've just lost the awe and the wonder of, of who he is. Maybe 2023 has just been one of those years that's just knocked us sideways and we've lost our view and perspective of Jesus. And today, for those of us feeling like that, there's an invitation for us as well to step back into his grace. His grace is on the table. There's an invitation for us to confidently come and stand before our mighty God again and maybe receive those things that we've been longing for, but maybe to place some things also at the feet of our mighty God. And this invitation is personal. For to us, to you, a child is born. To you, a son is given. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Amen.